Thank you. I feel much unworthy of your kindness and love and lifting an offering, and I never go anywhere for money. Uh, I know there's some that do. The Bible says there are some that do. But I come because of my love for Christ and my love for you and my desire to see the body of Christ grow and come closer to, come closer to God. And so I'm thankful. I have truly just been, I can't express in words, I've been super blessed to be in this church and to be a part of you this week and fellowship with you. And uh, I've just, yeah, I, I've so much appreciated all the hospitality and the food and, and uh, your kindness to me, accepting me as one of you. And, and I feel like one of you. I, is that okay? I really do. I feel like one of you. And uh, I appreciate that so much. I appreciate Keith and Hi Keith. <laughs> Where did I get Keith and Heidi? Uh, there is a Keith and Heidi somewhere. Merlin and Heidi and their family, their seven children. What a joy to spend this week with them in their home. Being in their home, I know that what they profess here is in the home. They are genuine believers, and they, they uh, seek to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know that for a fact. So anyway, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And uh, I was, uh, <clears throat> we ate lunch here, supper here tonight, whatever you want to call it. And, and uh, sitting out there at the table, there was some ice cream back there. And I was tempted to have some ice cream. And then uh, I agreed with the thought. And then I owned it. And so it became a part of who I was. <laughs> and I forgot <laughs> That dairy products are not good for your voice. So if I <clears throat> get a little hoarse tonight, it's probably because I yielded to that temptation. So, but it was good ice cream and good food. Okay, so if the children come up, we got started late. Did I come in here? We didn't start till six after, right? <clears throat> Thank you. The children want to come up over here. I better get my Bible. Good evening. Good evening. You already know what I'm going to do, don't you? Yeah, that's the way to. Yeah. Huh? He does. He does. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're up here tonight. And uh, I want to refer to a verse in Second Peter. Or First Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Be sober, be vigilant, which means be watchful. Be sober, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And so, that's a very interesting verse. <clears throat> because Peter compares the devil to what animal? A lion. Uh, is this just a nice little pussycat lion that lays around and, and you can walk up to it and pet it? Not that kind of a lion, is it? 
This is a lion, a roaring lion, he says, that walks about seeking whom he may gobble up and jump on and devour, destroy. That's, that's Satan's goal. Did you know that? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy in our lives. What does the Bible compare us to often? What, what animal does the Bible compare us to? Sheep. Ye are my people and the sheep of my pasture. And the whole 23rd Psalm compares us to sheep, right? Jesus is our shepherd and we are his sheep. And so if we have this roaring lion and little sheep, what usually happens in that situation? Is that a good situation? The lion's going to eat up the sheep probably, right? Yeah. One time I was, somebody in our church had exotic animals at their house. They had a license to have exotic animals. And so Delbert Eichelberger had a lion among his other animals, kind of like a little mini zoo. And we had our family over there one day just walking around his little mini zoo. The difference between his little mini zoo and the big zoo you go to in the city is you could get close to the animals. You could walk right up to the cage. In the, in the big zoos, they have barriers, so you can't get close, right? But his, you could walk right up to the cage. And I was interested in that lion. It was just laying there in his cage. And I walked up, walked up there to the cage, and I noticed all these big bones in there because Delbert fed the lion some of his dead livestock when the cow would die he'd feed it to the lions and there was all these bones laying there and that lion was just laying there and I was right up against the cage and wah <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I did that lion jumped up on that cage and I thought I was a goner because I was right there in front of me and I was scared to death but that's what the Bible compares the devil to a lion that is, if he could have got out of that cage, he'd have probably ate me up and my bones would have been right in there with the livestock. Okay, so tonight I want to tell you a little bit about my life. And so uh, this egg is me, okay? And the bottle is Satan's trap, okay? And so... If I'm a sheep, and I'm here, of course, I don't want to get this close to Satan's trap, but this is just a demonstration, and this bottle represents his trap. So I grew up in a home back in Ohio, and I, as a little boy, I had four brothers and four sisters, so there were nine of us. And when I was about 11 years old, I went forward in meetings, and I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I needed to be forgiven for my sins and accept Jesus as my Savior, and I did. And so I became a Christian, born again, and I was baptized. And it wasn't long after that, maybe a year or so, that my dad left our family and left my mom to raise nine children. And that was tough for my mom. And it was hard on us kids because we didn't have a daddy at home anymore. And that was hard on us. But the church helped out a lot. And so, yeah, we raised... 
raised our kids, and mom, mom kept us going to church. She'd take us to church every Sunday. And so I continued to grow in my relationship with Jesus, and I learned about Jesus. I learned about the scriptures just like you guys do in Sunday school. And I was growing in my Christian life, and uh, I was really excited about Jesus. I love Jesus, and I wanted to serve him. Do you want to serve Jesus? Amen. And so as long as we're serving Jesus and living for him, can Satan get us in his bottle, in his trap? No, because Jesus is stronger than Satan, right? Jesus defeated Satan when he died on the cross and was buried, and the third day he rose again. He defeated Satan. He's a right-handed God, and the Bible says he's far above Satan's power, and Satan is under his feet. So Jesus is much stronger than Satan, and just like David protected his sheep when the lion and the bear came, Jesus protects us. As long as we focus on Jesus and keep our eyes on him, Jesus will protect us, and Satan cannot get us in his trap. So how does Satan get us in his trap? <clears throat> Pardon? Allure, that was last night, yeah, yeah. Tempting us to sin, tempting us to sin. So what are some sins that we might commit? Oh, steal a candy bar in the grocery store, yeah. Stealing, disobeying our parents, lying, envy, exactly. There's a number of sins. Well, how does Satan, well, let me just say this. So I continued to grow in the Lord in my relationship, but when I became a high school student, I started running around with the wrong crowd of friends. And the Bible says bad friends corrupt good morals or good character. It's not good to run around with friends and these friends didn't just didn't obey their parents and they didn't go to church and they looked at bad magazines and they they were not good friends to have but I was running around with that crowd and pretty soon Satan used those friends to allow me to do the same things and pretty soon I started not obeying my mother and I didn't want to go to church and I didn't read my Bible and I didn't pray and I began to do what they did smoking cigarettes and then drinking beer and other things and pretty soon, guess what happened? I haven't done this for a long time. <clears throat> I'm going to throw another one in there, maybe. Sucker me into his trap, didn't he? Because I had sin in my life. And you know what? When I was in his trap, there I was. And I couldn't get out. And at first, I kind of liked it in there because I kind of liked the sin I was living in. It was kind of fun. There I am, trapped. But you know what? It wasn't long that I discovered that I was on the wrong road and I was headed 
to the wrong place, to hell. Satan had me trapped, and I wanted out of that trap, but guess what? There was no way out. I was trapped. I couldn't get out. I wanted out, but the more I tried to get out of my own strength, the more I ended up back in sin again, just doing the same things, drinking, smoking, taking drugs, living the whole party life for a long time. And I wanted out. In fact, I moved to Oklahoma to get away from my friends so I could change. But I found the same kind of friends out there, and I didn't change. Until one time, I went to some revival meetings. And the preacher, who is my father-in-law now, actually, but that night, he was talking about how much God loved us and how much forgiveness God had for us. Let me get that out of there. Yeah. And so that night, when he gave the invitation, I, was, I knew I needed to go forward and ask God to forgive me for all my sins. And I went forward that night, and I fell on my knees, and I was crying, and I asked God, will you please forgive me for all my sins, and I surrender my life to you, and I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord again. And you know what? He forgave me, and I got up a new person. I got up with peace in my heart that I haven't had for a long, long time, and I knew I just wanted to serve Jesus. think Jesus could get me out of the trap? He got me out of the trap. You know what? This is the deal. I don't ever want in Satan's trap again. I don't ever want you boys and girls to be where I was at or any of the young people or anybody in this trap where Satan had me for seven years. Okay? I want to stay as close to Jesus as I can stay. And I want to serve him with all of my heart. And I want to obey him. And if I happen to do something wrong and sin, I want to get on my knees right away and ask Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me. And I know he will keep me out of this trap and give me eternal life because I want to live for him. Okay? So I want you boys to think about that and girls <clears throat> to think about that and just decide right now that you're going to serve Jesus all of your life. And be careful what kind of friends you run around with when you get older. Be really careful because Satan can use bad friends to influence you the wrong way. Okay? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all of these children up here. And I thank you for their parents. I thank you for the godly homes that they're being raised in. The influence, positive influence, Lord, that they're having right now <clears throat> at home and in this church. And I just pray your protection over them, Lord, as they continue to grow in, in knowledge of you and, Lord, come to know you as their safe, personal Savior and Lord. And, God, I just pray that they would uh, just be have a great impact, Lord, in this world today as servants of yours in your kingdom, God. Just bless them and their families in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can go back to your parents. Thank you very much. <clears throat> That doesn't always work. Sometimes the egg explodes. <laughs> I don't tell my testimony in any way 
to give glory to the enemy. Or, you know, I have that hall of shame back there that I'm very much ashamed of. How much more God could have done with my life had I not rebelled against him. But I do share it to give Jesus glory and to tell people how much mercy God has. Everybody can be forgiven that comes back to Christ. I was that prodigal that left and finally came to myself, and the Father accepted me back, and I'm so thankful. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I don't know if this is a revival message tonight or not. It's not your typical revival message, I know that, but I just pray that it can be a challenge and an encouragement to you tonight. It is, it is to me. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are... We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained of God to be the judge of the living and dead." To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission or forgiveness of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they, all, they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Heavenly Father, we thank you again tonight, Lord, for this opportunity to look into your word and to be challenged from your word, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit speaks into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have free sway in our lives tonight, Lord. You would just direct our thoughts, uh, Lord, to, to understand uh, what you're telling us tonight, Father God. And, and I just want to be obedient, Lord, in sharing your word uh, by your grace. And I thank you for that. And God, I thank you tonight, again, that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I pray that prayer because I need to be reminded of that, and I love to be reminded of that. 
I'd love to be reminded of that. Title of the message tonight is the triple dip concept. And I'll say like I did last night, like I've said other nights, I'm right down there with you. And this, I don't know who this message is before is for, but I know one person is for, and it's for me. Every time I read this through the book of Acts at least twice a year in my Bible reading, and every time I come to this scripture, I am reminded of what God has showed me here and how often I do need to be reminded of that. And so I just pray that uh, it will speak to your heart also. So the triple dip concept, and we're not going to Dairy Queen, Queen for ice cream. Uh, don't think that way. It's a message that should incite us to be out in the world bringing the lost to Christ. And so you understand, uh, as I refresh your memory from Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> prior to our text, what I mean by the triple dip context. So, so here was Cornelius, uh, a man who feared God, loved God, a man who prayed to God, a man who gave alms to the poor. But Cornelius was a Gentile. Cornelius was a Roman centurion from Caesarea, posted at Caesarea anyway. And one day while Cornelius was praying to God at a certain time of the day, he was praying and fasting, and he had a vision. There was an angel. And the angel said unto him, Cornelius, your, your, your prayers have come up before God. And you are supposed to send to Joppa for a man called Simon, who is to Simon, who is called Peter, he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and you bring him back here, and he will tell you the words whereby you must be saved in your household. And so Cornelius did that. He sent two of his servants and a soldier up to Joppa, where Peter was at, and the day that they got there, the next day, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. We know the story, right? Peter got hungry. About, it was about noon, I guess. And he got hungry, and he, he was praying, and all of a sudden, he was in a trance, and he had a vision. And he saw this huge sheet come down from heaven, held by four corners. And in this sheet was all these four-footed beasts and reptiles and birds. And he heard a voice, Peter, rise and eat. Peter said, no way. I have never eaten unclean things. I will not. And the sheet went back up. And this happened three times. And after it happened, the men were out there knocking on the, on the gate. And Peter was scratching his head trying to think what in the world this vision meant. And the Holy Spirit told him, there's men down here knocking at the gate. They want you to go with them. You need to go without asking any questions. So Peter went, obeyed the Lord. He got back to Caesarea, and he got to Cornelius' house, where Cornelius had gathered his family and friends and kinship together. And they were in the house, and Peter came in, and he told Cornelius. He said, Cornelius, you know that it is against the law for me as a Jew to associate with you Gentiles. But verse 28, but God showed me that I should not call any man unholy 
or unclean. So Peter asked Cornelius why he had sent for him. Cornelius related a vision that he had four days ago that the angel said he was to call for Peter and Peter was to come and tell them the words of life whereby they might, him and his household might be saved. And so Peter preached the sermon that we just read in our text. The triple dip concept. Did you catch it? It's in verses 11 through 15. Three times this sheet come down with all these unclean varmints. Three times the voice said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And three, three times Peter said, no, unclean, I will not. And I left this part out earlier, but three times the voice said, what I have cleansed, do not call unclean. What I have cleansed, do not call unclean. But what's it mean? At first, Peter couldn't understand it. He couldn't figure it out. But as God and his providence and amazing timing in orchestrating this, what I call a divine appointment with this Roman soldier who was a Gentile, to hear the gospel from Peter, a Jew, it clicked to Peter. The meaning of the vision dawned upon him. The meaning was there. Do not, God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The New American Standard says that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That's what God showed Peter. And that's what God keeps showing me and reminding me of. Not to call anybody in this world out there unclean or unfit or a non-candidate to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be saved and to be a part of the church. And not just the church, but my church. Do not call any person unholy or un unclean. Don't go around judging people by their appearance or their social status or their race or the things that they do, their character, etc., etc., and, and deem them unfit to hear the gospel message and have an opportunity to be saved and be a part of the body of Christ. In fact, this very body of Christ here, the local body. Now, first of all, as we think about the events of this triple-dip concept, all of us believers here tonight need to be very thankful that God was opening up, revealing this concept to the Jewish Christians at that time. We need to be very grateful. Had we not been, had this not happened, you and I would not be here tonight, likely. Paul and Peter and, and other apostles that went out to the Gentile world to bring, to allow them to hear the gospel and come to Christ. If that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here because you and I are these Gentiles. We are Cornelius. We are his family that was gathered there. 
We are the Gentiles who the Jews were not allowed to associate with, who were unclean and unholy, not fit to hear the message of the gospel and be a part of who they were. That's us. Aren't you thankful that God revealed this, this new revelation to these people? We are those Gentiles. That's what Paul wrote to the Gentile church. I was read this from Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> it's written to us as well. Paul said, Wherefore remember that ye be in times past Gentiles in the flesh, which are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, uh, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Wow. But now, he says, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, not having a chance, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Wow. Praise God for the triple dip concept that he was revealing to Peter that day as he came to talk to Cornelius. Without it, we would be lost Gentiles in this world, far off with no hope. No hope. But, beloved, tonight, we so easily become Jewish in our thinking. At least I do. We become Jewish in our thinking. We disassociate ourselves too easily from the pagan, wicked, Gentile world around us. We hold them at arm's length. We turn our backs on them. We lose our compassion and our passion to bring them to Christ. And I'm not, again, not talking about you. I just describe myself. I believe you struggle with it too, though. So let me just give you three points tonight, three reminders, a triple-decker <laughs> triple message that will help us apply the triple-dip concept. Not to call any person unfit or a non-candidate for the gospel message, to hear the message and become a part of the body of Christ, and particularly the body that we are a part of. So number one, None of us deserve to be here as a child of God. We sang that tonight. None of us deserve to be here as a child of God. Not one of us. But it's easy for us to forget that and to entertain Satan's lie that I do deserve to be here. Especially if we've been raised in the church all of our life and we've had this goodly Christian heritage that David talks about and we've grown up in the church and we've always been taught Bible stories and the principles of God's word and we know the songs and we've sang the songs we can even sing four-part harmony we pray together before mealtimes and on and on we could go so like naturally I'm God's child of course he accepts me and wants me to be a part of his kingdom. Why wouldn't he? I'm a prime candidate for heaven. And what we say, maybe we don't actually say those things. 
But brothers and sisters, every time we look at a homeless, dumpster diving wino, or a tattooed, body pierced, pants on the ground, gangster looking dude, or a homo, lesbian, someone who's been divorced three to five times, ponytail guy, long hair, and we point and we mock and we turn away in disgust instead of being just overwhelmed with compassion. Then there's a whole lot of arrogancy going on behind the scenes in our hearts. A whole lot of I deserve to be one of God's children. But that guy, huh, he's going to end up in hell because that's where sinners like him go. If anyone had the right to think like that, it would have been Jesus. The perfect son of God. But Jesus never pointed, never laughed, never turned away in disgust from the down and out, despicable, low-life sinners in his day. The only ones he turned away from were the ones that I was just talking about. The religious, self-righteous, Pharisees, hypocrites that thought, I deserve to be one of God's. After all, I'm a child of Abraham. But the sinners, Jesus invited them into his presence. And he healed their diseases. And he had compassion on them. Showed them mercy. And showed them salvation. So number one, none of us deserve to be here. Not one. Not one of us. We all are undeserving sinners before a holy God. Damned to a fiery hell. Except... Like Paul said, but God, but God reached out in his mercy and sent his only son to die for us on the cross of Calvary, invited us through Jesus to be one of his very own, to be one of his very own, not by anything we do, but just by accepting the gift of his son. That's God. And so... If we call any person unfit for the kingdom, let's make sure it's us that we're calling unfit for the kingdom, undeserving of the kingdom. And then number two, this is not our church. It's not our church. We may be charter members. Our parents may be charter members. You know, we may have helped build the facility paid a lot of money to have this church built. We may be very active in the church, gone here for a long time, but the church is not ours. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. He purchased the church with his blood. It belongs to him. He is the head of the church. Paul said the church is the church of the living God. It belongs to him. So we, we cannot get possessive of the church. We cannot say it is my church. And I'm sure these Jews were probably thinking, this is our church, our temple, our synagogue. If we offer these Gentiles salvation, they'll mess up our church. 
They don't know our traditions and heritage. They dress different. They don't know our doctrines and standards. They don't want them, we don't want them to marry our kids and mess up our genealogies. They can't sing like we do. They probably don't even know 606 in the hymnal. And I ask, is that a problem that we Mennonites have? When we think about reaching out and offering the gospel to those lost sinners who are other than we are. Well, they might make our church all messy. We have a reputation to protect. How are we going to play the Mennonite game with names like Swift, Jones, Matthews, Nichols, names like that? Makes it hard, doesn't it? I don't know who you're related to. No clue. And they don't sing four-part harmony, likely. I mean, like, tattoos, body piercing, pants on the ground guys, ponytails, ex-convicts, third marriage people, nicotine habits, sitting in our pews next to our kids. Maybe we should ask, is the church supposed to be a museum of polished saints or a hospital for bruised and battered new Christians that we cared about enough to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ, point them to Jesus, show them how to be saved, brought them into the church, and are helping them clean up their lives by discipling them, discipling them through the Gospels, through the Bible, mentoring them, helping them take off their grave clothes and break their chains? Are we teaching them the principles of truth and righteous living? Again, a museum or a hospital. Call no person unfit. I believe the triple dip concept is a hospital concept. Remember what Jesus said when they accused him of inviting sinners into his presence and eating with them and fellowshipping with publicans and sinners. I'll just read it to you again in Matthew chapter 9. And, when the fair, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I have this excerpt from Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Jim Simbali that convicts me every time I read it. it. says, maintaining doctrinal purity is good, but it is not the whole picture for the New Testament church. The apostles wanted to do more than simply hold the fort, as the old gospel song says. They asked God to empower them to move out and impact an entire culture. Remember how Paul turned the world upside down, they accused him of. 
In too many places where the Bible is being thumped and, and doctrine is being argued until three in the morning, the spirit of that doctrine is missing. One way to recognize whether we suffer from this disconnection is to look at our concern for people who are dirty, people who are other, people who don't fit the core group's image. The idea that a church could be called just to serve yuppies or some other designated class is not found in the New Testament. The ravages of sin are not pleasant, but they are what Jesus came to forgive and heal. The Son of Man came to save and to seek that which was lost. The Spirit of God is a spirit of mercy, compassion, and reaching out. Yet Christians often hesitate to reach out to those who are different. They want God to clean the fish before they catch them. If someone's gold ring is attached to an unusual body part, if the person doesn't smell the best, or if the skin color is not the same, Christians tend to hesitate. But think for a moment about God reaching out to us. If ever there was a reach, that was it. The holy, pure deity extending himself to us who were soiled, evil-hearted, unholy. God could have said, you're so different from me, so distasteful, I would really rather not get too close to you. But he didn't say that. It was our very differentness that drew his hand of love. Jesus didn't just speak the healing word to lepers for a distance of 30 yards. He drew close and he touched them. I'm not suggesting, brothers and sisters, that we lower church standards that we have that are godly and please the Lord. I'm just saying God saves people instantaneously with the gospel. And they need to be brought in and they need to be cleaned up. And we need to be a part of helping them take off their grave clothes Understand the Bible. Understand the gospel. Understand the scriptures. We need to, to be those EMTs that help them with their wounds and their scars that Satan brought into their lives. We need to tend to those wounds until they're healed. And it would probably be messy, don't you think? It would probably be messy. I remember... Mel Shetler being in our church and he was talking somewhat about this very thing and he used the scripture in Proverbs 14 verse 4 where it says where, not, where no oxen are the crib is clean it's nice to have a clean crib isn't it a clean church but there's no oxen that's why the crib is clean and then it says but much increase is by the strength of an ox so if you want to have a growing church, you're probably going to have a messy church. We can choose a clean crib or we can choose a messy church and a growing church that brings honor and glory to Jesus because he's saving people. He's saving people out there in the world and we're a part of that. So we mustn't be possessive of the church. It is not our church. And number three, all of us are capable of sharing the message of the gospel. If we are a Christian believer, we are capable of sharing the gospel message. We need to overcome our fears, our shyness, our self-imposed inadequacies of sharing the gospel. 
What Peter shared here in, in our text was not hard. It's not deeply theological. It's just a simple outline that God is our creator and God loves us. And we are sinners and we are accountable to God. And Jesus came to die for us on the cross. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we'll receive forgiveness of sin and we'll be saved and we'll have the Holy Spirit like these did. And we don't need to make it any more complicated than that. Right, Mitch? Mitch knows how to make it uncomplicated. Can I tell your story? So he's ministering to his boss. And he gave his boss a good picture. And he said, you see these railroad tracks out here? Yeah. You're standing on those railroad tracks. There's a train coming down those tracks. That train represents judgment. I'm trying to get you off those tracks. And then he read through the Ten Commandments. And he looked up and his boss was very red-faced and very startled because he knows that train is coming and he's on the tracks. Now he's been invited to share a daily Bible study with his boss. That's powerful. That wasn't hard. I mean, yeah. That's a simple presentation of the gospel. There is a way to get off those tracks through faith in Jesus Christ. We can all share the gospel. But not just with our boss, but with people that are much different than we are. And, and I tend, brothers and sisters, to push people away that I don't think would be a good fit at our church. And it's nice to see church growth, but so often in our church, church growth does not come from the lost coming to Christ and coming into the church where they are discipled till they are mature in their faith in Jesus Christ and then they're going out. Too often, church growth comes from people moving from church to church instead of people coming in. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't move from church to church if they're not where they're being fed and so forth, but I'm saying that's not the only way we should be bringing people into the church. And I'm talking to myself. We should be bringing people in from the outside, people who are other, people who we push away and want to keep at arm's length and don't really think they would be good in our church. They just wouldn't fit. But if they're saved and they belong to Jesus Christ, they belong in the church. Yes, they're going to need a lot of help, but they do belong in the church. So that's a challenge I leave with you tonight. And I leave with me as I go home. I would like to see our church grow, not just from people coming in from the Amish church or people jumping from a, we've had some come in from a church of God that had some struggles. And we appreciate them. We love them. They are a good fit in our church. They really are. But there's others out there that really need the gospel who are hurting who are in Satan's trap and have no way to get out unless they hear the message of the gospel. So that's the challenge I leave with you tonight. Again, I appreciate being here.
enjoyed it so much. Tomorrow I'm going home early. I would appreciate your prayers as I travel 12 hours to get home. And so thank you for that. Let's stand for closing prayer. Heavenly Father God, I thank you. God, that you looked down and saw this sinner and have mercy on me, dead in my sins, deserving the wrath of God, but God, who was rich in mercy, for your great love wherewith you loved me, even when I was dead in sin, quicken me together with Christ. By grace I am saved. God, I don't deserve it. I think we would all agree that none of us deserve such compassion, such mercy, such love, such grace as you have poured upon us. God, may we not be Jewish in mind and thought where we begin to think that we deserve to be in this church. May we always be mindful of where we came from and the grace that brought us here. And somebody had to tell us of that grace. Lord, may we tell others of the mercy and grace through Jesus Christ that is available for them to be saved and to have eternal life. And so, Lord, just challenge us, convict us. Every time we read this passage of Peter and this sheet coming down and your voice saying what I have called, what I have cleansed, do not call unholy or unclean, unfit to be a child of God through the message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Dismiss us in your fear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And you're dismissed.